This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Great Lakes Kids Apparel. That's right. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes for your little one to enjoy. Plus, Great Lakes Kids Apparel is a mom-owned business, so you know your kids will love these clothes. And Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers fast, free shipping on orders over $50, not to mention amazing customer service. So head over to GreatLakesKidsApparel.com or click the link in the show description and use promo code LOCKS to get 20% off your first order today. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Presents True Crime for the Short on Time. This is episode number two. And as always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive even deeper into the dark to discuss some truly terrifying true crime cases. Olivia, I've been looking forward to this all week. I so enjoyed recording the first one. It's super fun to be able to do these really cool kind of up-to-date stories and catching things in the moment. Are you feeling the same way? Was this something you were looking forward to? Yeah, I really like our short on time episodes. You know, they're quick to research, you know, and it's keeping me in the loop on what's happening. Um, but there's some crazy things happening in this world. I just keep sending you different articles that I'm coming across just so that we can go back and, you know, go through them all. But so much is happening in this world. I know it's absolutely crazy, and, and the response that we got in the Facebook group from the Timothy Hasselet, the Monster in Missouri story, that breaking news, seems like people were really into kind of getting these quicker stories and, and things that are current. So I know last week that was the one that I had picked to discuss. This week you are bringing something completely different, so I'm ready to get in. This is for the short on time. We don't need to be long-winded, right? The whole point is that we boom, 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 we get through it. So what are we talking about this week? This story actually hit headlines on October 13th, so just about a week old. 
Um, Katie and Ian Bonick were together for eight years. Ian was 43 and an ex-Marine turned bodybuilder, and Katie was a 39-year-old registered nurse who was actually aiming to become a nurse practitioner. Together, the two had young children that were ages six and four. Their relationship was not always rainbows and butterflies. Their family reported incidents from when the couple was just dating and Ian would lose his temper. For instance, they actually reported that he got so mad that he threw a bottle and broke a window when they were at a family gathering. Shockingly, the two met on a dating site, Christian Mingle. Well, hey, what are you going to do? Late last year in November, Ian was arrested on charges of domestic battery by strangulation. The charges were dropped in January and he was not prosecuted. And that same time, Katie moved out to start over, and the relationship was not working, and she just felt like she needed a better life for herself and her children. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's a super healthy relationship. No, I mean, the family has witnessed him being aggressive towards her, and then he gets charged with basically domestic abuse. So she moves out, and she's trying to change the life and make it better for her kids. So she enrolled the kids in a new school, and she was now a single mom. But most recently, in September, Katie filed a restraining order against Ian for allegedly abusing one of their children. So now, like, the kids are getting involved. So on the night of September 29th, Katie dropped her two kids off at a friend's house around 9 p.m., stating that she was just going to go to Ian's house to get some of her belongings and that she would come back as soon as possible to get her kids. But Katie never returned to get her children. That's when the police got involved. When they went to Ian's home, Katie's car was actually in the driveway and her purse was still inside. With Ian not at home, police left and actually returned later, only to find that Katie's car had been moved. Ian refused to allow the police to search his home. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing suspicious about that. Nope, sorry, can't come in and search the house. Yeah, when you act guilty, you are guilty. Especially, like, if her car is there and, like, I could see her purse in the house and now you're like, nope, can't come in, you know? Yeah. So, of course, the police get a search warrant, and once they're in Ian Bonick's home, they notice signs of a struggle. Investigators sprayed the trunk of Ian's car with luminol, and it was glowing blue, providing proof of blood. Ian claimed that it was from grocery shopping. Like, What kind of grocery shopping do you do where there's blood all over the back of your car? I mean, I could get if there was like a speck, like, okay, maybe some ground beef or a steak juice got there, but like for your whole trunk to light up blue and to go grocery shopping, did you buy a whole hog? Right. Or like, did the butcher grind the beef in the trunk of your car? Like, that's a very terrible excuse. Yeah. So then the investigators decided to spray the inside of his home and blood evidence was spread throughout the entire house. Other evidence that was found during the search was Katie's wedding and engagement ring in a safe. She was wearing it the night she went missing. Also an AR-15 assault rifle, 13 silencers, and a forty caliber handgun were also found. 13 silencers is insane, especially if you think about we just did the episode on Thomas Lee Dillon, and he was prohibited from owning any firearms because he was caught with one silencer. They're like super illegal. So to have 13 of them is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, don't you just need one and they'll all like go on like a gun? Like, Well, and also, what are you doing with these firearms that like you don't need anybody to hear you? Right. It's definitely intense. So they also found 13 different types of steroids in his home. And as police continued to search the property, they came across a gruesome discovery. A fragment of a human mandible with an intact tooth on a fresh burn pile. A 50-gallon barrel which smelled like decaying flesh and multiple bones scattered around the yard. Okay, can I ask you something? Yeah? This reminds me very much of the Kelsey Barrett episode. 
And I just don't understand like what it is about these dudes where they have to like kill their wives and then like burn them. You know, no idea. It's super unsettling and it feels like it happens way more commonly than it should, you know, because it it feels like it should never happen. If we've covered two stories, it feels like that's two stories too many, you know? Yeah. And this one just happened last week. It's insane. So Ian claims that he and his ex had an argument, but that she left the house before he woke up. And so he continues just to claim that he's innocent, which clearly they're finding a lot of evidence strongly, strongly against him. So Ian was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, failure to report a death to the medical examiner, and over a dozen counts of possession of a controlled substance without a prescription. So, of course, Ian, who thinks he's not guilty, pled not guilty to all the charges. Currently, he's being held in jail without bond, and his preliminary hearing is expected to be later this month. So I'm interested to find out what happens in this case as it goes on. I mean, clearly they have very strong sturdy evidence to build a case against him. And again, this is an ongoing case, right? And you are innocent until proven guilty, but to not let the police in your house to be like, Oh, we had an argument and then she left and I woke up and she wasn't there, but her jawbone pieces of her body are in my backyard and I'm all hopped up on steroids. Like again, completely innocent until proven guilty, but it's not a good look. You know what yeah, I mean? And I'd be sure. interested to come back and kind of see what updates we get from this case. Yeah, for sure. Especially after once they run the DNA on everything that they found at his house. So I wanted to ask you a question because as a man, this is something that I don't really think that I think about very often. I don't think we've ever talked about this, but my wife and I should be like, you want to fight? And I'm like, you know, I could just take you, right? Like, like you know, not that I'm like, you know, I'm going to beat up my wife or anything, but I'm not worried about the threat of, domestic violence when it comes to like a fist fight or like her overpowering me, something like that as a woman. And if any of our listeners want to chime in on this as well, I would be very interested to hear, but how close is that to the front of your mind? Is that something that is a persistent worry? Like the idea of being overpowered in a situation like that? I first want to say that I think every couple jokes about someone being able to take someone, you know, like I've had that discussion many a times with exes of mine for sure. Like, uh, you're a six foot tall man, like you're definitely going to be able to take overpower me. I think that in a relationship setting, those thoughts don't really sit in my mind at all. I'm obviously going to be with someone who I trust that won't put a hand on me and I don't have to worry about domestic abuse. I just don't think I would put myself in that situation. And I think I'm a person that would get myself out of it really quickly. But as a woman, as a single woman who lives in a city, I think about it all the time. I'm always looking behind me, making sure that I'm aware of what's happening. Um, I just think in this day and age, like, it's scary. And, like, people just go missing and being held captive in people's homes. And I don't know. Yeah, I would say as a single woman, I think about it. In a relationship, no. I wouldn't say that's something that sits at the front of my mind. But I guess I think about it a lot being the father of a girl, you know. And obviously, she's too young now that it's even anything I have to worry about as far as her being, like, in a relationship and things like that. But... I guess where my thoughts and where my fears kind of center around is that every relationship always starts off good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because like that's the reason that that relationship continues. So my hope is that we can raise her in a way that she knows her worth. She knows how she should be treated. You know, and hopefully if there's a, a sign that that situation could even be a possibility, she knows to remove herself from it. I just again, you know, with me, it's just 
I never think about, you know, my wife getting angry at me and being like, I'm going to punch you in the face. You know what I'm saying? So like, so as somebody in my position, it's just interesting to pick the brain of someone and see if it is a thought that you you have to worry about or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, those are valid. It's very valid. I was just running a day before. No, yesterday I was running yesterday and I was actually running with somebody. So I definitely wasn't like on high alert and someone came like kind of really loud behind us and you couldn't tell what they were on or if they were riding. It didn't sound like a bike, but they were actually on rollerblades and they were like stomping, but skating at the same time. And it literally scared me. And I just wanted to be like, you can't really do that in a city where people are just getting shot driving down the road. Like it really took me for a a scare there, but I was definitely shocked in that moment. And you just can't do that. You can't sneak up on people like you used to and, it just scared me, and I just felt like I had my guard down because I was with somebody else, whereas if I was alone, I would have been on, like, high alert, you know, and, like, prepared. But I like that you say you can't sneak up on people <laughs> like you used to. Like, there was a time where it was socially acceptable. <laughs> oh, it's getting late, John. No, no, I get what you're saying, though. This is it's when like, the listeners can understand that the delirium really comes out. But I'm sure it has something to do with the time. Like, I think we tend to kind of romanticize the past and being like, you know, the leave it to Beaver. Everything was safe and nobody locked their doors. But I think even back then there was people that were like, that lady's jogging. I'm going to go creep up behind her. But Yeah, I mean, I even something caught my attention today. There was two probably like 10 to 12 year old boys on bikes in my neighborhood today. And then as I like drove past them, I was like, you know, you never see kids outside playing alone. No, because there's too many true crime documentaries. Right. I'm like, like, there's really no kids like we would all there was a whole bunch of us that would play outside. And it just shocked me that these two boys were on their bikes, just the two of them. And they were just outside. You never see that anymore. Yeah. If I see two 12 year old kids on a bike now, I'm like the Texas Candyman. Get inside. Go. You know, and if you haven't if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the Texas Candyman episode, go back and listen to that one because it's crazy. But that's like my thought process is like. Make sure you are close to home where people see you. It's also different now, too, because kids have cell phones and stuff like that. Right. But I think about when we were kids, it was like, go outside until streetlights come on and don't come back. Right. You know, don't come mm-hmm. back until it's dark. And there yep. was no cell phone. There was no, you know, your parents are just like, you'll be fine. And it's yeah. completely different now. Yeah. Well, anyways, John, that was my little true crime for the short on time this week. But I'm really interested to see how it pans out. Yeah, definitely. We're going to have to circle back and make sure that we're given any updates. And, you know, again, I know that this story isn't fully fleshed out yet, but just the idea. I mean, I'm going to go ahead. We're doing quick deadbolt tests. I'm going to go ahead and give this a seven. Just again, we've talked about it in some of our other episodes, but the idea that this is somebody that you're close with, somebody you trust are the parents of your children, and they could do something terribly heinous to you like this. It freaks me out. So I'm going to put this at a quick seven. I don't know where you're at, but want to make sure we're covering it for the listeners. So yeah, this one for me is about a seven. You know, they've been together for eight years. He allegedly killed his uh, ex-wife. And then there's speculation that she signed the the restraining order because he was abusing one of their children. You know, so something has clicked in his head. So yeah, it's definitely about a seven. Well, you heard it, folks. Olivia and I, we are both putting this true crime for the short on time case at a seven. But as always, we want to know what you think. You can reach out to us on Instagram, check the locks pod, find us on Twitter, check the locks, join our Facebook group, the best place on the internet. We love interacting and hanging out there with you every day. 
that is this week's episode of True Crime for the Short on Time. But please make sure you join us next week as we dive into yet another bite-sized, truly terrifying true crime case. Until then, don't forget to check the locks. See ya.